Hi, welcome to Season 3 of the Pictures Out There podcast series. Today in chat number 2, Lee and Dave talk about Barbie, Oppenheimer, Taylor Swift, 2001, A Space Odyssey, UFOs, Charlie Chaplin, Mother Earth, and more. And now, here's Dave and Lee. Well, thank you, Candy, for that very kind introduction. This is Dave. And I am Lee. And welcome to another episode of Season 3, Chat Number 2 in the Pictures Out There podcast series. How are you doing today, Lee? Hey, I'm doing well. And I would like to extend a welcome to our present-day audience. Yeah. To our audiences, perhaps years, decades, and centuries from present day. Future, future, future. Yeah. Future. Maybe our future artificial intelligence audience. Oh. Future alien audience. Welcome. And as we like to call it, just our future universal audience. We are glad to have you listening, and we thank you for joining us. Yeah. So what are your ideals? What are your pictures? Hey, we recently had a very, very interesting cultural event. And cultural events, lots of times, tell us all sorts of insights about things that are going on Mm -hmm. and insights about topics that we talk about in pictures out there and in these podcasts. This cultural event was Barbenheimer. Barbenheimer. It kind of overtook the summer of 2023 in the public's interest. Christopher Nolan's Oppenheimer movie and Greta Gerwig and Margot Robbie's Barbie movie became the double feature that was known as Barbenheimer. And it became the fourth biggest box office opening weekend of all time. Barbie is now over a billion dollars globally in box office business. Lee, you and I both had the chance to see this movie. And we could talk about that for a whole podcast. We won't. Yes. yes. But it was just awesome. Oh, it's sensational. Yeah. Sensational. Yeah. Uh, you've never seen so much pink, <laughs> but neither have you seen such intelligent, intelligent social commentary oh. and references to pop culture. It's wonderful. Yeah. And done in humor. Yeah. And lightness, but making serious points. Making all serious along the points, way. but very gracefully. Yeah. Yeah. At the same time, we've had another interesting cultural event Taylor Swift's concert tour. And the U.S. leg of that is just completed. I will, you all can't see this, but I am wearing a Taylor Swift t-shirt today. Yes, he One is. One of five or six that I think my family members gave to me for my birthday. And we all went to the Taylor Swift concert. And that concert uh, tour has created new demand levels, attendance records, revenue records for concert and stadium tours. We've even had the situation, Lee, where... Uh, fans have reported in Seattle, I believe it was, that yes, there it was. were swift quakes, yeah. 2.3 on the Richter scale. I have friends in Seattle and understanding that Mount Rainier is sitting there you know, waiting to blow at some point in time. Please take care of Tacoma. Yes. But I uh, just kind of went, let's please not set that thing off. Okay, let's kind of <laughs> keep it down. Yeah. But that's the enthusiasm and energy level and noise level of the audience creating these swift quakes. Yeah. So we, so we just wanted to put these three things together the barbie movie the oppenheimer movie taylor swift concerts what's going on is there something going on here right and i think for me lee there clearly is a connection that i was seeing to the taylor swift concerts and the barbie movie and the taylor swift concert the one i went to and i think was fairly typical the audience was about 80 percent female Mm -hmm. Uh, there were a lot of guys there uh, the the generations, it was across the gamut. 
Mm-hmm. It, it was from, you know, grade school kids all the way to older folks and mm-hmm. everything in between. And it was a celebration. It was a, a celebration of life experiences. It was a celebration of uh, certainly being a woman. Mm-hmm. It was a celebration, though, of just being a human being. Mm-hmm. It was fascinating. And the connection that all of these people were feeling was just really interesting to me. And you combine that with the Barbie movie, I think both you and I would just say very similar. Mm-hmm. Celebration of being human, celebration Absolutely. of being female. Yeah. But uh, neither neither experience I experienced is as male bashing. That's a topic that people are talking about with both where people Oh, they mentioned the word patriarchy. Oh. Right, right, right. That's ghastly. Oh. Yeah. That means that they hate men yeah. or something. No, no, no. No experiences no. like that at all. None. And the defensiveness over that, to me, is very interesting. It's very telling. Yes. Yes. Yeah. 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 So I, I think there is a real phenomenon uh, that crosses both of these events, right? The Taylor Swift concert tour and the Barbie movie. Not only is it a celebration of femininity, but it's also a, fem, uh, a celebration of women's power and intelligence and rightful place in culture and society. And yeah, let's take on the word patriarchy, right? Which is probably articulated, what, 15 times in the Barbie movie? It's a central theme. Right. And without giving the movie away, if you've not yet seen it, there are good reasons that women would have to say, what is our rightful place in this system? How might we improve it? And none of that is hateful. No. And I think we've seen in our lifetime uh, the issue of women having equal rights has always been an issue while we've been alive. And I would say in a lot of ways, things have gotten better. They're not anywhere close to where they need to be in terms of equality right. across the genders. And I would say that one of the things that happens is is the move toward equality happens over time hopefully, and and as we've experienced, you get the defensiveness and you get the weaponizing back from the power structure in place of saying, woo, we're starting to feel it. We're we're feeling the move toward equality and we don't like it because we have privilege and we have power Mm -hmm. in the current system and we don't want that to go away. Yeah, we'd prefer not to share that. Yeah, so it's almost, almost feels to me like a very gentle but powerful uprising that is happening culturally mm-hmm. that these two events represent. And it's fascinating watching the response to it and the fear that, that the, the system in place feels that again, gives men privilege uh, over women in many situations. And those people that want that system to continue feel uh, they feel attacked, mm-hmm. you know, and it's like, well, no, it's just people saying we're all equal. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. At no point does anyone say we are better than the other thing. We're all equal. We're all of equal value, equal worth, each one of us. Yeah. And some people really don't like that message. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 Oppenheimer. Well, let's talk about that. So for those of you who may not immediately recognize the name Oppenheimer, Robert Oppenheimer was a physicist who led a team of professionals who created the first atomic bomb in the 1940s, which ultimately were dropped in two locations in Japan and hastened the end of World War II. So there is considerable interest around this historical movie. And is there more interest in Oppenheimer, Dave, because we're experiencing an acceleration of dependence on technology, artificial intelligence, 
Do you think we're trying to find ways to process and work through our fears about those new technologies? Because the creation of the atomic bomb was certainly a fearful event. It feels like it. If if we, again, can kind of go backwards, we had the creation of the bomb. And and again, that was a huge driver around the creation of the UN. Yes. And gosh, the world has to come together to kind of make sure that we don't go use these things Mm -hmm. anymore. Mm Mm-hmm. And we had things like the Cuban Missile Crisis. There's been an occasional scare of, you know, the the safeguards didn't work and somebody got close to launching something. Mm -hmm. But besides those things, there really has been a lot of silence. Yes, there has. About this danger that we all just live with all the time Mm -hmm. until now. And there's been this real interest in that whole process of how it got created and specifically in Oppenheimer the person. And so the the movie, to me, did feel like uh, kind of a connection to, well, we now have this new degree of fear that is coming out around artificial or advanced intelligence. Mm -hmm. What can happen there? Uh, The scenario people talk about there is don't let them use the get access to the launch codes right. for nuclear weapons and all right. of that. Yeah, and so it feels like, again, the, the global interest in this culture event is a lot around the fear or things we are trying to process and deal with yes. as a society. Yes, I think that's a great observation. So let's talk about advanced intelligence, robotics, all of those things. So mm-hmm. there's plain lowercase fear, <laughs> which is, oh my God, the robots are coming to take our jobs. And by the way, that's occurred in some professions in some industries. Right. Absolutely. Employment displacement has occurred, not to a significant level. But then there's uppercase F-E-A-R fear, which is what if artificial intelligence gets to a point where they are our masters? Mm -hmm. What if they get the launch codes? Mm -hmm. There's this kind of existential fear around what does this new technology represent? And it is absolutely, it looks like the same playbook that people expected to uh, experience in the 1940s and 1950s as we reconciled uh, living with this uh, nuclear capability. Yeah, and so you know, just a and, and I would say also for people who um, have seen the Oppenheimer movie or will see it, all sorts of other issues, wonderful things that that movie got into that we aren't going to take the time to go through here today, but definitely worth seeing. It, you know, this conjures up to me, Lee, just a very general and big question. Should our belief about the likelihood of human survival, which is one of the things that the Oppenheimer movie certainly gets into, uh, whether we think it will survive, whether we think it might not, whatever, should that change anything about actions or decisions in our lives today? Whatever our degree of fear is about that or the degree that we think it will or won't happen, should that change anything? I'll pass on that question. (laughs) (laughs) No, that is a gigantic question and of critical importance. So yeah, I like to put it, I'll first put it through the lens of environmental stewardship. We make decisions every day that affect the health of the planet that we inhabit, right? Right. And some of those decisions are probably harmful long-term. Others may preserve the livelihood of the planet going forward. That's kind of not easy to think about, but that's a current example. Then if you can notch that up times 100, now we're talking about actually survival of the species. What kinds of decisions can we make if we hold that out there as whatever we do here in the present day? It needs to be in the interest of of the survival of the species. 
usually you can get people's attention by saying, what do you want for your children? What yeah. do you want for your grandchildren? That will humanize it and bring those big decisions down to a, an operational level where people can say, okay, I'm going to make this decision because 30 years from now, I want my granddaughters to have this and not have that. Yeah, a lot, lot of my experience with dealing with fear, and a lot of this is in a work environment, is I never think people make great decisions when they are in a atmosphere of fear. Yeah. Uh, they don't think clearly. Mm-hmm. They lots of times don't see possibilities. And usually then the choices they make in response to just fear aren't great choices. Mm-hmm. And so the notion of, well, do you think the possibility might be 5% that we won't survive? Do you think the possibility might be 15 Whatever it is, to me it's kind of like, well, the best thing to do is to not be afraid and go do the right things. Yes. Go do the best things. And so how, how do we understand the fear we may feel? And I think it's always a good thing to confront that. You know, I, I have some fear around this. Call it out and then set it aside and say, well, what's the right thing to do? What should we do? Yes. And uh, so I, I would probably be in the camp of saying we should never let our degree of fear guide the decision. We should understand up front, though, if we have some fear because we have to acknowledge that to get past it to then make good decisions. Yeah. But I'm, I'm reminded of the tool that we've talked about in previous podcasts, moving from fear to courage yep. to love. Yep. Here it comes back at us. First, confront the fear, acknowledge it, label it. We've had previous discussions about the value of simply labeling the fears yeah. rather than being vague and ambiguous, pin them down because when we understand what they are, we have some chance of navigating through that fear. Right. Always a good place to begin. So the conversation may be a good one to have. You know, what do you think? Yeah. Not that we can know that, not that we can predict what's going to happen. Right. But to get at how we're feeling. Yes. Yeah. 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 So we thought uh, before moving on to the subject of UFOs, uh, here's a little quote from Sir Arthur C. Clarke, who was the author of 2001, A Space Odyssey, and many other books. Lee, you want to give us this quote? Sure. Uh, Sir Arthur Clarke said, I'm sure the universe is full of intelligent life. Hmm. It's just been too intelligent to come here, (laughs) meaning the earth. It's just been too smart to come our way. Sir Arthur, (laughs) nice little nudge there. (laughs) Yeah, that's a wonderful quote. Yeah, which leads us to uh, what we thought was kind of an interesting article or or thing that came up uh, here of late in the last month or two. There's a former Air Force intelligence officer, retired Major David Grush, I believe is how we pronounce his name. And he was testifying to Congress, and he said that the U.S. government has a longstanding program that retrieves unidentified flying objects and said that non-human biologics were found at crash sites where the objects were recovered. Uh, He testified about that to a House committee, and it was part of an investigation into reports of unidentified aerial phenomenon. So this thing comes up periodically right yes and there's almost always the naysayers who go there is no such thing there's no area 51 right no da, da, da. right and then there's people who are going yes there are there, yes there are mm-hmm. and it's being hidden from us or not talked about so this was kind of the latest salvo of that debate. it's the most recent and you always have to begin by trying to establish the credibility of the witness here well former air force intelligence officer yeah <laughs> That's not just some guy living on his ranch, you know. There may be some credibility to this report, as there have been to others. But 
where does this really lead us? If UFOs are present or not, if the United States government is hiding the fact that we know they exist, set all that aside. So what if there is other intelligent life in the universe? Then what? Yeah, yeah. And and wouldn't we out of the universe assume there's something? I know I do, where it's kind of like, you know, now we'll always kind of go, well, let's assume what they look like and they have to be an organic form like we're an organic right. form. I mean, who knows? Who knows? <laughs> who knows? Right, <laughs> right. A dear friend of mine had a line which I really like. It resonates with me through the years. He said, what would you be more afraid of? The fact that humans on Earth are the only living things in the universe oh. or that we're surrounded by other types and forms of life. Ah. What would scare you more? Yeah. I'm kind of going, the isolation sounds more terrifying. <laughs> so it's a, it's a lot of space. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the, uh, yeah, the interesting thing to me when, when you see a little blurb like this in the paper, it's kind of like when somebody comes up to you and kind of goes, I have something really interesting to tell you. And they tell you something and your curiosity just goes off the charts. Right. Yeah. And you want to go, okay, tell me more. Right. Well, no, there's nothing else to that, tell that's me. It. That's so, the end of the story. This was like a story one day, and we never heard another thing about it. There's a few weeks ago, and it's like, yep, that's how these things happen. You know, spike your interest and then leave us stranded. Right. You know, no wanting more. Right. So. I guess the last thing I'll say about this is just for those of you in the future, there is a multi-billion dollar business built on UFO. I mean, truly. There are television programs, there are movies, there are souvenirs you can buy, all based on whether UFOs exist or not. Yeah. 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 And, yeah. and we, a lot it's of big times business. we have the aliens kind of look the same, don't we? Oh, yeah. They're gray and pointy-headed, and they have big oval eyes. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. movies, like we've talked about movies before, movies and culture lots of times start that. And I've always laughed about uh, one of the movies that where there was a, a creature was the movie Alien. Mm-hmm. You know, and mm-hmm. I've laughed about all the movies since then where the creature in those movies kind of looks a lot like the yeah. creature in Alien. Yeah. You know, someone so, had an original conception and everybody else just <laughs> bought it. They go, oh, that must yeah. be what they look we get like. These images in our mind, and then we just keep repeating them. Right. So anyway, right. Well, we have uh, we have some things certainly going on in our environment. We have in past podcasts and in the book talked about a picture for our global environment. And what that should be. And we have had all sorts of things happening in California. We have had incredible droughts in California over the last few years. And we uh, just recently read an article from the Washington Post. And we're going to read a brief excerpt from it here and then talk about it. And this article said how California's weather catastrophe turned into a miracle. Hmm. Gushing waterfalls, swollen lakes, and snow-covered mountaintops transformed the state's arid landscapes. Californians were preparing for another year of unrelenting drought in 2023. Instead, they got months of incessant rain and some of the heaviest snowfall they have ever seen. They feared blasts of spring warmth would quickly turn snow into floods, adding to the havoc from a series of winter storms. But until recently, temperatures remained mercifully cool, allowing for a slow and steady melt. The result, a return of water to California that's erased drought maps, poured into long, dry irrigation systems, and raised expectations that after months with water bursting from their gates, reservoirs will end the summer melt filled to capacity. Now, Lee, here even more recently, we have seen a tropical storm, of all things, hit Southern California. Yeah. 
And, you know, the area had to deal with that and deal with flooding and just all of the things that came with that. What do we make of all of this? What do we make of it? Well, there's no such thing as global warming. <laughs> there's no, no such, such thing as climate, climate change. change. Right. So Humans are not impacting any of this. Exactly. So that's probably another topic for another day. But, of course, there is a, a, a division of opinion about the reality of climate change. For me, this is an indicator of climate change caused by what? Human impacts in all likelihood. But if you're in California, how do you deal with this? I'm going along my merry way, not watering my lawn because there's water restrictions in place. And then the next day, there's an 80-year rainfall. Yeah. 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 And I think the, you know, here in 2023, we would say that, you know, the clear majority in the scientific community does believe that we are experiencing climate change and that humans are part of the reason for it. Mm -hmm. And in addition to that, I would say most of the public believes that. We do certainly have a, a significant faction that does not want to believe that or doesn't believe that. Right. And so it's, it's interesting to me when some of these things happen, uh, that faction does tend to get a bit quieter. It does. About it. And yep. then some of these events pass, and then the questioning comes back up. And it gets related, uh, for those of you in the future, here today it gets related to public policy. Mm -hmm. And so things like whether or not we need to transition from fossil fuels and the damage that they create over time to, quote, safe energy. Yeah. Solar energy, wind energy. Yeah, that ends up being a huge part of the debate. And it's shocking that money is involved yeah. somehow in that. You Who, know? Who'd have thought? Who'd have thought money would be involved anyway? So, you know, when we're trying to, it, this does kind of raise an interesting question when you think of uh, the degree to which Earth as if you want to say an organism mm -hmm. or as a machine, mm -hmm. uh, do we think that Earth is responding to things that maybe our species is doing? We've talked, I believe, in past podcasts about the degree to which in the last century or two the significant percentage of species that have been eradicated from Earth. Yes. And we've also talked about the fact that Earth is basically a diversity machine. Mm -hmm. That's what creation is about, is about creating diversity. Correct. We, are, we have been working against that. Yes. And so is there a point where, you know, Earth or Mother Earth, if you want to use that term, says, hmm, I believe I may have had enough of that. Mm -hmm. I, I would like to stop some of that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, again, when we're trying to get animals that we consider varmints out of our garden that are doing harm, do we unintentionally maybe kill some other critters or plants in the process is Undoubt mother Earth, undoubtedly yeah. yeah going after a specific species hint, hint, <laughs> with her greater extremes of weather and climate that we're now experiencing you know it's just a, an interesting question it to, is as opposed to say well the patterns of weather are changing you know we have these cycles no what if this is an organism or a machine that is specifically going after yeah. it's us. Fighting back, if you will. Fighting back. Adapting, if you'd prefer that term. Yeah. Yeah. So this goes back millennia, what I'm about to say. This is not modern human thinking. This has been present for millennia, probably since the dawn of human beings. We've never felt a part of the earth. We've always felt that we're somehow on the earth, above the earth, in control of the earth. Yes. The earth exists for our purposes, for us to manipulate and use as we see fit. Now, there are cultures who have 
seen the potential wrongheadedness in that all along. There are numerous indigenous peoples, tribal people who said, no, 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 we are of the earth, part of the earth. We worship the earth. We steward the earth and all of those things. But those cultural philosophies have been in the minority all along the way. Yeah. Lots of times that relationship, if there has been one, you know, where we were interacting, it has been, as you said, as caretaker guardian and again it's this superiority yeah over over all of uh, other life we thought it'd be interesting to read a very quick story by a wonderful science fiction author from days of yore his name is frederick brown some of you all may be familiar with him and the story seemed to be relevant to what we're talking about here so Mm -hmm. i'll read it it just takes a minute or two and it's called pattern okay miss macy sniffed why is everyone worrying so They're not doing anything to us, are they? In the cities, elsewhere, there was blind panic, but not in Miss Macy's garden. She looked up calmly at the monstrous mile-high figures of the invaders. A week ago, they'd landed in a spaceship a hundred miles long that had settled down gently in the Arizona desert. Almost a thousand of them had come out of that spaceship and were now walking around. But as Miss Macy pointed out, they hadn't hurt anything or anybody. They weren't quite substantial enough to affect people. When one stepped on you or stepped on a house you were in, there was sudden darkness, and until he moved his foot and walked on, you couldn't see. That was all. They had paid no attention to human beings, and all attempts to communicate with them had failed, as had all attacks on them by the Army and the Air Force. Shells fired at them exploded right inside them and didn't hurt them. Not even the H-bomb dropped on one of them while he was crossing a desert area had bothered him in the slightest. They had paid no attention to us at all. And that, said Miss Macy to her sister, who is also Miss Macy, since neither of them were married, is proof that they don't mean us any harm, isn't it? I hope so, Amanda, said Miss Macy's sister. But look what they're doing now. It was a clear day, or it had been one. The sky had been bright blue, and the almost humanoid heads and shoulders of the giants, a mile up there, had been quite clearly visible. But now it was getting misty. Miss Macy saw as she followed her sister's gaze upward. Each of the two big figures in sight had a tank-like object in his hands, and from these objects clouds of vaporous matter were emerging, settling slowly toward Earth. Miss Macy sniffed again. Hmm, making clouds. Maybe that's how they have fun. Clouds can't hurt us. Why do people worry so? She went back to work on her garden. Is that a liquid fertilizer you're spraying, Amanda? Her sister asked. No, said Miss Macy. It's insecticide. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Now, aliens that are listening to this in the future, we love you. We love you. We mean no harm. Right. Let's work things out. Okay? Yes. If you come here and you don't like what Give we're us doing, a second chance, a third, a, a fourth. <laughs> but we thought that was indicative of, of a picture of Earth as an organism or as a machine, mm-hmm. a, a creation, a diversity machine, saying we have an infection here. We have a virus here. We have something that is working against what we're trying to do. Yeah. And that's not uh, a bad way to look at this. Mm -hmm. And we need to do better. Yeah. Yeah. So here's another picture relating to the global environment. Can we at least agree the world is generally getting hotter? Now, in our present dialogue, there would be some division of opinion about that. But let's just assume that it is. In fact, in July of 2023, we lived through the Earth's hottest month on record 
key phrase on record. There may have been a hotter period before records were kept, but you get the point. So why do we often make discussions about our global environment or climate change, a debate about predictions of what we think will happen? Instead of articulating a picture of the future, we would like that becomes the driver of the actions we take. So rather than the doom and gloom, oh my God, where is this likely to lead us? Why don't we flip the calculus of that conversation and say, well, what kind of a future do we want and what kind of actions can we take to get to that future? Yeah, and a lot of times the, the prediction debate gets to be uh, on one side, uh, well, it'll just all come around. These yeah. things are cyclical. It's a 500-year cycle. We're not aware of a 500-year cycle. It'll come around. Yeah, and the fact that based on geological records, we do think this is the hottest the Earth has ever been in 100 thousand years <laughs> and we have been working with fossil fuels for what uh, 100 or 200 years yeah something like that. i don't know that there's a coincidence with that perhaps perhaps you not know? but it is interesting that we just have these debates about what's going to happen and we see this with other elements we see it politically we see this with technological questions like ai instead of going let's proactively Think about what we would like to have happen, create a picture for it, and then go do it. Yeah. Yeah. We too often get involved in debates like some scientific community will say, well, the Earth's temperature is predicted to increase one degree Fahrenheit for, for, per 100 years for the next 10,000 years, yeah. right? Yeah. And people get bogged down in that detail, and it's worthy, but the detail prevents us from having the more important discussion. Yeah. What, what is it that we want? Yeah. Okay, we're going to have uh, several chats this year about equality and inequality. That's a big deal to Lee and me. Uh, we talked about that a little bit earlier with the conversation around women's rights and equal rights. We can often feel our temperature rise, Lee. Our heartbeat, our heartbeat quickens, and it just the mere utterance of these words, equality and inequality, and it's like, oh, here oh, we go. Oh, no. Oh, man, here we go, another one of those. Which, to me, it's one of the ways that people that don't want to deal with equality questions try to keep it from coming up. Yes. Let's make, let's make it really uncomfortable. Uncomfortable. You know, right. and so it's a comfortable thing to talk about. It's okay, okay to talk about We it. can all breathe, inhale, exhale. And so we want these chats that we have about it certainly to be calm and thoughtful. At the same time, we want to be really honest and direct about it. We thought today we would just have a little brain teaser, uh, thought starter. A simple question, are all people and human lives around the globe equal in value and worth? And should they also be equal in value and worth under the law? To me, it's kind of the question. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And that boils it down pretty well. I, I always think it's like when somebody goes, well, yeah, it's like, okay, well, when you say yeah, when you say yes, that means mm -hmm. that all of these types of people are equal. That's right. Is yeah. that what you really mean? Is that what you really do you mean? Really mean? And do you understand the implications of that? Yeah. Right? Yeah. What kind of changes will we need? To systems, to yeah. laws, to governance, to everything. Because we are not treating people <laughs> no, we that are way not. now, and we never have. Never have. Never, never have. have. That's yeah. not a new phenomenon. Yeah. Yeah. How about another question along those lines? Have people in human lives around the globe ever been of equal value and worth? One time. Ever. <laughs> Was that day one? <laughs> <laughs> 
And then we immediately discovered inequality, right? Yeah, right. Yeah. That, that was the first hour yeah. of the first day. You're all created. <laughs> you know, you're all equal. And then we went, wait a minute. We don't, we don't need to stay that way. Right. Let's go be unequal. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I think the desire for equality, uh, Lee, is perhaps more cl- clearly seen now than ever around the globe. And it's some of what we talked about, certainly, with, uh, with the Barbie movie uh, at the beginning. There's voices, very, very loud and active, wonderful voices for gender equality, for racial equality, mm-hmm. for religious or spiritual equality, for sexual identity equality. All are getting louder around the globe. And as the voices for equality become louder, as we've talked about, the voices that try to justify inequality through fear messages, violence of every kind, desire to maintain a formal or informal caste system, desires to maintain power of one gender over another or one skin color Mm -hmm. over another or one culture over another. These voices have also become louder in response. So to kind of illustrate how far this uh, anti or inequality thinking and believing can go. There was a very tragic story recently in which a woman had just a little shop and she sold home accessories and some clothing. And in her shop, she proudly displayed a pride flag, meaning members of the LGBTQ community, you are welcome here. Well, she was shot dead by a person who had a different point of view on that. So that's how extreme these beliefs can be held. Yeah, yeah. So we would say that in different degrees and in every kind of form, we never have had human societies where really everyone was treated under the law or in the culture as being people of equal value and equal worth. Uh, We would then ask the question, though, this is an interesting one, is the increasing prevalence of this conflict and it certainly is coming up much more. And it's a global phenomenon. It is not just yes. a United States phenomenon. Yes. It's happening in a lot of places around the globe. Is this a sign? Is it a good sign or a bad sign for our future that this conflict is kind of coming up? And I would say, I, Lee, we don't like the conflict itself. We don't enjoy that. It's not pleasurable to anybody to have these debates or to get into it particularly. But I would say, again, lots of times when you have things getting better, the forces against that movement become louder and stronger. Yeah. And I think you can't make meaningful change without conflict. Right. So in my view, the conflict is beneficial because it may signal change is occurring. Say that one more time. I love it. You can't make meaningful change without without conflict. conflict. Yeah. And, and we don't recognize that. I mean, that... I guess you teach conflict management I do. classes, don't I you? I do, indeed, yes. <laughs> <clears throat> and I also teach change management classes, and it's, it's a, a phenomenon. Meaningful, significant, lasting change always, and I feel comfortable using the term always, has some conflict that goes along with that. Sometimes it seems like, Lee, the question of, um, you know, somebody else wants quality well, they're doing that is going to be impinging on my subculture or my rights. You know, that's lots of times the pushback on this. Is there a way that we would create and maintain a diversity of cultures and subcultures that would do no harm? This to me is the big phrase, do no yeah. harm to others right. while still supporting full expression 
of those culture and subcultural elements. And I think that gets to be where a lot of the debate lies is, well, you're getting, you're impinging on my rights, but, well, yeah, but your rights mean doing me, include doing me harm. Right. And that's not okay. Yeah. Yeah. So that just seems like an ongoing question and debate. Yeah. And I think that's born of what we call zero sum thinking, right? Everything mm. has to total up to zero at the end of the column, and which I think is wrong headed. Just because you can celebrate or express your sexuality and it may be different from mine, how is that really harming me? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's taking no opportunity from me. It's not harming me in any way that I can think of. But again, it's born of zero sum thinking, which we've conditioned to, to have. And your zero thumb zero thumb, thumb thinking. The, the, your zero sum thinking phrase conjures up to me is it a world of abundance or is it a world of scarcity? scarcity. If somebody else wants to express themselves in a different way and it's doing no harm to anybody else, that's just another sign of a world of abundance. Yes. It's diversity. Yeah. What is, and there's no harm being done to you at all. Not what that. is the problem with that? <laughs> I don't understand. And somebody else may say, well, the problem is it's a world of scarcity and it's one pie. And literally, if you just go express yourself honestly, and you're doing no harm to me, you really are doing harm to me mm -hmm. because it's a scarce pie and now I feel less than. Mm -hmm. That's called privilege. Mm -hmm. That's called privilege and, and it's called, uh, I am more worthy and more valuable than you are. Yes. And we don't buy it. Right. You know, but the world has never fully embraced that or implemented that, the human world. And we certainly hope things are continuing to move in that direction. Yes. Okay. So using simple to complex to simple, a tool that we've talked about before, mm -hmm. you know, where you go from the starting point of simple and you go in and learn research, all of that, and you have all this stuff that's flooding your mind about an issue like equality or what have you. Mm -hmm. And then you say, how do I pull out of that? Mm -hmm. How do I pull out of that? And to make get, it simple again. And make it simple again by pulling out what are the most compelling things. And we would say, hmm, is there a simple to complex to simple wisdom about all of this? And we would say, let's pull out of the complexity of all the conflicts currently going on around the ever-present inequalities in our world and re-ask that simple, compelling, and key question. Should all people and human lives around the globe be equal in value and worth? And should they also be equal in value and worth under the law? Mm -hmm. We would say, yes. 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 Hard stop. Yeah. That, that's it. Yeah. And you can go study this and learn about it and engage in all the complexity that you wish but it does come back to this simply stated fundamental question. Yeah. And we'll, we'll add a second simple to it. Is there ever a good reason to intentionally harm another person or have power over another person or group because someone thinks they matter more or are superior uh, to that person or group of people? We would say, no. No. <laughs> no. no. And we would say th these are really the questions. Yeah. They are fundamental. Yeah. Yeah. And depending on what your answer is to these two questions, you know, that our answers either put us in what we would say is a category of being equalist or for equality, or you're an inequalist. Right. Yeah. You know, we'll sometimes have people say, well, no, I, the way you're describing that, I would be an equalist for everything except religion. Yeah. Or yeah. except gender. Right. Or except, it's like, no. No. It's all or none. It is. It's, it's an a, all or nothing question. It's an all or nothing question. And if you, you can't cherry pick, you're either for equal worth and value or you're not. Right. 
yeah. So we have a quote here from uh, Charlie Chaplin that we thought was kind of interesting here, Lee. You need power only when you want to do something harmful. Otherwise, love is enough to get everything done. What a wonderful quote. Let's read it again. You need power only when you want to do something harmful. What tremendous wisdom. Otherwise, love is enough to get everything done. Sounds good, but don't we have people every day going, no, 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 no. No. I Give me more power. I got my power here. I, I like my power. I want my power. Yeah. I want to keep my power. I want more power. I'm not doing anything bad. I, I know what to do. Trust, yeah. trust me. Trust me. Trust me. I got this. You might go ahead and give me more power. Yeah. And one of our pictures that we had certainly uh, in, in things that we've communicated before in podcasts and books is that sharing power is the simple wisdom about a, a picture for power and leadership in the future. Yes. Uh, Charlie Chaplin says this yeah. in a beautiful way. Beautiful way. Very compelling, powerful way probably 80 years ago. And Lee and I have said, you know, the, the key thing in being a great leader or... And having power is to then go share it and then to live by your ideals. And I would guess that love is one of Charlie's ideals based yes. on his quote. Yes, I think you so. Know? And so that's a, that's a beautiful thing to say. So we always like to close these podcasts this season with some kind of message around uh, optimism and gratitude and momentum. We mm -hmm. think those things are important. So what do we have today, Lee? Well, first, let's thank the earth. Thank you, earth. Ah, Yes. Thank you, universe. Thank you, creation. Ooh. We live in this beautiful, magical place. Wow. Unbelievable. Yeah, we take it for granted every day. Going forward, may we each be careful caretakers of this amazing creation, this wonderful place that we inhabit. Millions of years have shown that the universe will take care of itself, even if we don't. Dave and I are optimistic about Earth's future, the universe's future, and ours. I'll repeat that last line that uh, Lee uttered up, if I paraphrase correctly. Millions of years have shown that the universe will take care of itself, even, even if, if we, we don't. don't. Uh, the earth knows how to handle itself. Yeah. And the universe does too. Yes. Uh, we can either participate in that and join in that or not. Uh, we believe we will. Yes. We're optimistic about our future, the earth's future, and the universe's future. So, Lee, in closing, we always ask, what are your ideals? What are your pictures? What are your actions to take? And finally, what is your influence to use? We'll talk to you soon. Take care. Thanks for joining us today. As always, feel free to explore more about Pictures Out There at picturesoutthere.com and major social media sites. We hope you have the day of your dreams, the day of your pictures. <laughs>